For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Our text this morning is, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Congregation beloved of our Lord Jesus Christ, This is the first Sunday of the new year, 2021. It's a time of year when people make New Year's resolutions. And it's interesting, maybe some of us have made resolutions, you know, I really should eat more vegetables, lose weight, exercise more, stop smoking, whatever. Different people have different priorities when they make these resolutions. And this is true of almost every aspect of society. A businessman will say, well, in the year 2021, I want to set certain goals for my business. And we see that governments also make certain resolutions and and laws and rules. 
depending on the priorities of the moment. We certainly saw that in 2019 with the re or 2020 with this reaction to this COVID crisis, this pandemic in which we are, in which we find ourselves. How do we stop this pandemic? And then we have all kinds of suggestions. What is necessary and what is not necessary? And those in authority conclude that it's necessary to keep marijuana stores open, to keep big box stores open, to, to keep abortion clinics open. And what is not necessary are things like churches and public worship. And that the presuppositions underlying that is that really churches aren't necessary. The worship of God isn't necessary for a well-ordered society. Some think that way. Some think that way and, and, and continue to think that way. If 200, 300 years ago, if there was a pandemic like this, People would say, the churches are the last thing you close. We have to turn to the Lord. We've got to pray that God will stay this pandemic, that God will keep this virus away. But we live in a much more secular society now where churches are considered superfluous. I was chatting with a ministerial friend this past week. We were talking about this. And I said, you know, some of these people that think that way, it's too bad that they can't have a conversation with the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, for the sake of ten righteous, I'll spare this city, said the Lord to Abraham, huh? It's too bad they can't have a conversation with some of these people. And his response was rather interesting. He said, well, maybe someday that will happen for them. Stop and think about that. Maybe someday they will understand, but it will be too late. And so when we gather together today for worship, we have to think also about the priorities that we are called to set as Christians, and the priorities we are called to set as a church. And the priority that we find in the words of our text, the priority that we find in John chapter 3, that ought to be integral to a New Year's resolution for the church, for the church, and for Christians, is that we are called to day by day celebrate the glory and the greatness of God's love that has been shown to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. To preach that gospel to the nations. To preach that gospel, to proclaim that gospel to the world. For God so loved the world that the world has got to hear about that gracious love of the Lord, the 
gracious love of God that has been shown in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this first worship service of 2021, we're going to consider this very, very familiar text. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to notice three things about that text. First of all, its divine source. God is the subject of this text. God so loved the world. Secondly, its unworthy object. That is to say, God loved the world. This world that is broken and fragmented by sin. This world that is infected with evil. God loved, loves this world that is undeserving of his love. Unworthy, sinful object. And secondly, the glorious promise that we find in the last part of our text that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have a glorious, wonderful future. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First of all, then, we have to consider the divine source of this love. God so loved. You know, the only thing that's predicated of God in the scriptures, there are a lot of things we know about God's attributes. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's everywhere present. Uh, he's, he's compassionate, he's a God of loving kindness and mercy. He's also a God of justice. But the only thing that's ever predicated of God in the scriptures is a predicate nominative for you English majors. The only thing that is predicated of God in the scripture is this. God is. It doesn't say God is righteousness. God is justice, even though he is. It says God is love. God is love. And it can be seen in many ways, can't it? Certainly we can reflect in this time of the year on the graciousness of God who brought us through the year 2020. We may look back and see there were times when we faced difficulties or we faced illnesses or we faced times of sorrow and God brought us through it. The grace of God came when we needed it the most. God is love. We see it in his sovereign provision for us. We heard about that on New Year's, on God's providential care, the New Year's Eve service. God's providential care so that when we look at Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the, the rain, the sunshine, the, the good times and the bad times, uh, the fruitful years, the lean years, the times of affliction, times of health, all of these things 
are under God's providential control and he will bring his people through it. We see it in God's restraining of sin. So often you know we don't think about that, but, but we can be very thankful that God does restrain sin. When I would go to the Ukraine, I would talk to some of these people and and their grandparents would remember some of the purges of Stalin in the 30s when the Russian army would go, went through the countryside and, and these peasant farmers would store up food in the cellars and they wouldn't kill these people, they'd just go in and, and take, take their food and so they'd starve to death in the winter, they couldn't make it through the winter that God restrains sin in society, that God keeps it at bay. And those who've seen when sin is cut loose in society, when sin has its way, when it's completely uh, hopeless, it, it appears for God's people, when the church is being persecuted, we understand what a blessing it is when that is restrained. But ultimately, we see God's love, and certainly in the most full expression of his love, can be seen in our Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely give us all things? You cannot speak of the love of God apart from speaking of Christ, apart from proclaiming Christ to the world. You can't speak of it. You can't speak of the love of God apart from the cross. You see, that is what the church is all about. That is what the church is called to do. And so often, you know, the church gets sidetracked and we, we find churches, they want to get involved in global warming or in, in, uh, in social justice issues and in whatever is the, the latest flavor of the day issue at hand, we want to be a part of it. We want to speak to the world. Well, if you want to speak to the world, speak to the world about life and speak to the world about death and speak to the world about life apart from Christ and speak to the world about death apart from Christ. Because that's what the gospel is all about. And we get sidetracked into all of these other side issues. And somehow in all of that we think we're going to find salvation apart from Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. 
When the church suddenly decides that the gospel is irrelevant, we want to be relevant to the world. The world is to set the agenda for the church. Then we have forgotten our mission to the world. We've forgotten what we are about. God is love. And that love is to be seen in our Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, God's love is for the world. God's love is for the world. And we're inclined to ask ourselves, what exactly does that mean? The Greek word is cosmos here. God so loved the cosmos. What does that mean? Well, when we look about at this world, certainly we can see that when God created the world, it was beautiful, it was spectacular. And it still reflects the glory of God. The creation still reflects the glory of God. It's a beautiful world we live in. I remember when I was considering the call to a church in California, we went out there and stayed by some people who later became friends of ours. We arrived in California, we arrived at night in the Chino Valley, and you don't really get a sense of what the countryside looks at, like at night. You ride on the freeway from the airport to these people's, to the church, and then to these people's houses. And, and, and so we stayed in the house and stayed by these people the next morning. Next morning we got up and the lady was fixing breakfast and I got up and I, I looked out the window. I was in the kitchen. I looked out the window and it was a beautifully clear day. And out this window was Mount Baldy. Magnificent, magnificent. It was about 15 miles away, but it looked like it, looked like it was on the next block. Just this huge mountain. And, I looked out the window and I said, look at that, look at that. And this lady came, stopped and, you know, she's, what's, what's with this guy here? But it just, it, it just, it's so impressive to see that, the glory of God in this massive mountain, snow on the mountain, it was just a beautiful sight. And she said, matter of factly, oh yeah, that's Mount Baldy. That's Mount Baldy. We see it every day. After a while, you, you get used to it. But, you know, it's a beautiful world in which we live. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. But this world is also polluted and stained by sin. And Adam's fall we sinned all. And this creation became infected with sin. And that raises the question, why does God love the world? Why does God 
love us? And we have to be careful in answering that question, you know? Some people have answered that question wrongly. Uh, that, that question has been answered basically in two ways. First of all, the unbeliever, now he may not acknowledge that he's an unbeliever, he may say, oh yes, I believe in God, but the unbeliever really, he's an unbeliever, he believes in himself. Why does God love me? Oh yes, God loves me. Well, why? Well, God loves me for who I am. You know, we see something of that reflected in Nicodemus's visit to the Lord. Who was Nicodemus? Well, he was a Pharisee. He was part of the upper crust of society. He was rich. He was everything a good Jew should be. If God should love anyone, it would be Nicodemus. And yet Nicodemus sensed that there was something missing, and so he comes to the Lord. You know, the rich young ruler had that too, you know. He comes to Christ. That mindset really infects us. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, Christ says, keep the law. Oh, all the commandments have I kept from my youth up. Oh, well then give, give all that you have to the poor. You say you love your neighbor, give that to the poor. And he goes away sad. God should love me for who I am. I'm rich, I'm young, I'm a good man. I've kept the commandments. I'm a pillar of society. And Christ points out to him that you haven't even begun to keep the first commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Your money is your God. You're not willing to give it up. You see, God loves us for who we are, and that mindset infects us today even. Uh, why? God should love me. I'm a good guy. I pay my taxes. I, you know, raise, raise my family as best I can. I, I uh, contribute to, ch to charity. I, I do all these wonderful things. I'm a good citizen, etc., etc. God should love me. the answer to that is, no, we shouldn't. God is not under obligation to love poor, wretched sinners. And that brings us to the second reason why people think that God should love them. And that is because of what they do. God loves me for who I am, for who I am. The Jews thought that way. I'm I'm a B'nai Barith, a son of the covenant. God should love me for who I am. And nowadays people think that God should love them for what they do. You know the apostle Paul. 
reflected that in Philippians chapter 3. He says, well, you want, you want my spiritual credentials. Here they are, Philippi. I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, zealous for the law, persecuting the church. As to legalistic righteousness, I am faultless. God should love me for who I am, and God should love me for what I have done. As to the legal requirements of the law, I'm faultless. I kept the law. Just like that rich young ruler, I kept it from my youth up. And there are people that think that way today. And indeed, the world was created good. And we see God's providential handiwork everywhere. But it has become infected and polluted with sin. And we who were created to love God and to walk in fellowship with him fell into sin through the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. And you know what we are now. We are creatures that by nature hate God and hate our neighbor. And what is, what do we need to do to solve that problem? Well, frankly, we can't do anything. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us we're dead in trespasses and sins. And Christ tells Nicodemus in this passage, you know what needs to be done, Nicodemus? You need to be born again. You stop and think about it, huh? Stop and think about it. Well, what is the Lord talking about here? How can a person be born again? Nicodemus' question is absolutely right. I, you know, I can't say, well, I bore myself. Being born is always passive. Something that happens to us. We're born in a certain family. We're born in a certain area. We're born in a certain city. We're born of certain parents. These are all gifts of God. These are things that are given to us. And Christ says, that's what it is to be born again spiritually. It is to be raised to new life by the power of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to be given new life. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so that when we look at salvation, it is from the beginning to the end a gift of God's grace. Apart from grace, we cannot have faith. There are two sides of the same coin. Faith, we are not saved by the strength of our faith. If that were the case, our faith, faith would not ever be strong enough to merit salvation. Christ says, as was noted, you've got strength, faith, you know, 
strong faith, you could say to the mountain, be cast into the midst of the sea. Christ mocks that, that notion that we can be saved by the strength of our faith. We are saved by grace, and when God's grace comes to us, we believe. Finally, what is the glorious promise? A glorious promise that comes to those, to those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who have received his grace. Well, it's, it's this. It's put very simply and very beautifully. Uh, they shall not perish, but they shall have everlasting Everlasting life. You know, when we think about John 3.16, we see here a summary of, of the gospel. I was thinking about that also the other day. It really is a summary of, I suppose you might say, I should say the Canons of Dort as an exposition of John 3.16. We are totally depraved. We are conceived and born in sin. We are dead. Greek word is thanatos. Greek, dead. Look at a dead person. They can't do anything. Preach to a dead person, it's going to do no good. We are dead in trespasses and sins. This world is alienated from God. Sin has cut us off from God. But God, in his marvelous grace, before the foundations of the world, before people were before you and I were ever born, God chose us in Christ. Before we did anything, before we ever existed on this earth, God has chosen us in Christ. That's what election is all about. That shows the marvelous mercy and grace of God. And to show how serious God was about that, he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. He, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't simply say, oh, well, I'm going to forget about your sin, I'm going to erase it, because God is a God of justice. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ who walked that last mile to the cross. And in the cross we see the intersecting of God's love and we see the intersecting of God's justice. God's love and God's justice. The wrath of God that we richly deserve was poured out on him. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's what the atonement 
is all about. And you know what? When that message comes to the elect of God, who God knew from before eternity, before the foundations of the world, they will respond, and they will respond how they will believe. God, by his Holy Spirit, gives them new life. And finally, because God is sovereign and will accomplish his purposes, he will bring them to salvation. He will bring them to salvation. You know, the Apostle Paul wasn't on the road to Damascus to get saved, but he was one of God's elect. Can God save someone that doesn't want to be saved? Can God do that if God is sovereign? Is God sovereign? Oh, yes. God is sovereign. Well, can God save someone that doesn't want to be saved? Let me tell you something, people of God. He does it all the time. Because apart from his grace, nobody wants to be saved. C.S. Lewis has an interesting illustration. He says, you know, what would happen if a, a group of people from hell would go into heaven? What do you think their reaction would be? You think, oh, isn't this wonderful? We're out of the torments of hell. He makes an interesting observation, he said. I suspect their reaction would be, let's get out of here. I can't stand to live in the presence of God. Can't stand to live in the presence of God. And we can't apart from Christ. And so we have the wonderful promise, huh? The wonderful promise that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ may enjoy the glories of eternal life with him. So we're gathered here on the first Sunday of the new year. And we look around the congregation and we see and remember people that understand what John 3.16 is all about now. Brothers and sisters in Christ who were called to their eternal home. This past year, our congregation lost 12 people. Elaine DeBach, John Grunewald, Marjorie DeYoung, Viola Nootbar, Stephen Hawk, Jenny Jacobs, Betty DeBoer, Leona Calamine, Alberta Vanderzee, Joanne Vanderheiden, Andrea Sluice, and Marjorie Verbeek. People that we knew people that we worshiped with, people that touched our lives. But you know, when we think back on the year, we may say, through it all, 
we have the promise, the promises of God. Those promises that were summarized in John 3.16. And we look back and we say, you know, this text is true. God did so love the world. And we know he fulfilled that promise in his only begotten son. But we know this too, that whosoever believeth in him are not dead. They have not perished, but they have the blessing and glorious, the glorious joy of being in the presence of their Savior. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but have everlasting life. What a wonderful hope that is, and what a wonderful message the church can proclaim to the world. Amen. O oh Lord our God, we give thanks for the gospel, the good news, the great news, the greatest news imaginable that you have loved us in Christ, and that those who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We know, O oh God, that you are a God that does not make your promises casually, but that you keep your promises. At, at, at great cost, you gave your only begotten Son. And now we pray, O oh Lord, for your grace that we may believe and trust in him. You have been with us, O oh Lord, in the year 2020. Be with us now in the year 2021. And we pray, O oh Lord, that if we may not see 2022, we may cling to this promise and this hope of eternal life that we have in Christ. And we pray, O oh God, that day by day, moment by moment, we may look to you. Hear our prayer, for it is in Jesus' name that we pray.